journey as we are studying the Holy Spirit. And so if you have a Bible, let's open up to Galatians chapter 5. And I think what the Lord has laid in my heart is to, to do our study tonight on the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh. We'll talk about that tonight. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about uh, an afterglow. We're going to see what the Bible teaches regarding that. And then the following Thursday, where we'll actually have an afterglow. We'll seek the Lord together. And then we'll be back in the book of Deuteronomy. And so continue to keep this in prayer. But tonight we see the works of the flesh. We see the fruit of the Spirit. You know, sometimes I'll mess around with my son. and My son's uh, really smart when it comes to grammar. And so he corrects me sometimes uh, in grammar. And uh, I tell him it doesn't say that in the Bible, that you have to say it that way. I mean, I think in one sense we can say it any way we want, right? And uh, I say especially when we're communicating the Word of God because sometimes you go outside of the grammar box and it kind of hits home. And so today, as we go through our study, we're going to see a couple of things. Number one, it's a revelational study. We can make up words from the pulpit. It's a revelational study. And number two, it's a motivational study. Um, it's a study that really we, we need to see where we're at. I pray that God would speak to us. And then I pray that God would move us to be the people that he wants us to be. And, and so we're going to see that tonight in, in many ways. Uh, the contextual background here is the liberty of the Christian. Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's telling them they're free. And it's in that context that we pick it up here in verse 13 where Paul says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Paul says there in verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. You know, and, and we're free. And we've talked about this many times as Christians especially. It's so awesome to know that we're free, that Jesus has set us free. But we must always remember that we are not free to sin, but rather we are free from sin. We are free from the law of sin, from the dominion of sin, from the domination of of sin, And therefore, as one translation puts it, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. You know, as Christians and the Holy Spirit now is living inside of us, one of the things that we need to know is that God wants us to bear fruit. If you can, in one sense, visualize yourself or recognize the fact that, you know, you're a tree, so to speak, and you're planted in a certain place. And God has planted you there, wherever you are in life. He's planted you with a purpose. And that purpose is to bear fruit. And as we take care of the root, we're going to have fruit. And as we have this relationship with God, well, that's, that's the thing that he looks for. It's not about, you know, giftedness. It's about godliness. It's not about your position or where you are in the body of Christ necessarily. It's about whether or not you're producing fruit. And as you abide in Jesus Christ, and as you have that intimate communion and relationship with him, you will bear fruit. We're all, in one sense, fruit inspectors. And I'm watching you, and you're watching me, whether you like it or not. Now, we try not to judge each other too harshly, 
But you know what? It doesn't matter who you are, how pretty you are, how handsome you are, how whatever you are. The one thing that we crave for, the one thing that we look for is fruit. And do, do you bear fruit in your life? You know, and we know it, man. We know plastic fruit. We know real fruit. God does too. Jesus said, you'll know them by their position. No, that's not what he said, right? He said, you will know them by their fruit. You see, God set us free, but we're not free to sin. Now we're free from sin. And God wants us to bear fruit in order that he would be glorified. You see, in our life, we have the sinner inner man that's dominated by sin, inclined towards evil with animal appetites. It just wants the world. And so here we see God says through Paul, stop doing this and start doing this. Don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh, but through love, what God wants us to do right there, it says in verse 13, is to serve one another. Now, the Greek can also be translated to serve one another in a humble manner, referring really to the way that slaves would serve their masters. That's what God wants out of our life. He doesn't want us to go and indulge the gratifications of our flesh. We, we lust for so many things. We have all those worldly wants. God says, that's not what it's about. Instead, don't do that through love. This is what I want. I want you to serve one another. Serve one another as a slave would serve a master. That's how radical it is. And I think it's so cool when you see Christianity for what it really is. And we're going to see it tonight. It's really radical. It's not casual. It's not natural. It's not your typical thing. It's really radical. And that's why there's a lot of people who aren't really Christians and they think they are. And they're not really Christians because somewhere down the line they bought the lie that says all you have to do is go to church and kind of be a good person. And you're, you're fine, you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. God says no. Not just being a moral, upright citizen. Not just a law-abiding person. It is an individual who is radical an individual who is loving, agape loving, an individual who is supernatural, they're the ones that go to heaven. Now, one day when we get there in the kingdom, you guys, we're going to trip out. We're going to be blown away at how many people that went to church that aren't going to be there. Why? Because they brought into the lie that thought it was some type of a moral thing. And deep down inside, and when they examine their heart, they really know that they're not real. And that's why a study like this is so cool because it really challenges you to search your heart. Because it doesn't matter if you fool me. It doesn't matter if you fool the person next to you. What matters is what's really going on. And are we really Christians? You know, And as Christians, are we really bearing fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, don't do this. Don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Instead, what you need to do is through love, you need to serve one another. How is this possible? Or read there in verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 14, Paul gives us that one word, wonder, the simple summary of all the actions of interaction. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a reference to Leviticus 19. And we know Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 22:39. The simple summary from the Lord is to love one another. You know, and in the context and even reading the commentaries, you know, I don't think the Galatians were doing that. 
And I don't think a lot of people really do that, to be honest with you. I don't know if a lot of people really agape love other people. I think a lot of times we love those who love us. We like those who like us, but we don't love the biblical way. Notice again what Paul says there in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And in one sense, Paul is saying, love one another. And just as a side note, I want you to know this, that if you're backbiting somebody, you don't love. And right off the bat, the foundational fruit, you don't have it. And more than likely, the Galatians were guilty of that. And that's probably why he brings it up at that point. Just ask yourself, point blank, do you gossip? Do you gossip? Well, if you do, you don't love. That's really what he says right there. Talk about being carnal. He essentially calls them Christian cannibals, huh? He says, backbiting the brethren, leading to the devouring of disciples. And what ends up happening, you guys, is you start biting, and then they discover, oh, you can bite in this fight. You know, some fights you can't bite, but then when you realize, hey, we can bite, you know, like animals, animals bite. Oh, we can bite. What ends up happening is you actually make yourself vulnerable and you destroy yourself. He says, beware lest what? Lest you be consumed by one another. And what ends up happening in that type of light is the congregation suffers as a body. You know, and due to our depravity, there's that tendency we have to do just that especially in the light of legalism. Galatians is a book, it's a letter that's written in the light of legalism. And wherever there's legalism, there will be backbiting. That's a fact. And especially in the light of legalism, there will be this anti-love mentality. You see, we can feed and fight in the flesh in so many ways. And so what Paul now begins to do is he begins to share, hey, these are the things of the flesh. You need to make sure you don't have them in your life. And these are the things of the spirit. And you need to make sure you have these in your life. Because look what he says there in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says right there, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, someone once said life is hard. And you know what it is. Uh, It's hard for a number of reasons, you guys. We live in a fallen world and we even live in a fallen body. And so that's kind of hard. The only hope we have is the help of the Holy Spirit. And so to walk in the Spirit, that will then enable us not to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because what you find is that the Christian way of life is hard. But remember, the non-Christian way of life is much harder in the end. And that's why we need to walk in the Spirit. Do you walk in the Spirit? Do you really walk in the Spirit? You know, we know that to walk is a common biblical idiom for one's conduct, one's life, how one behaves themselves. 
And the conduct, the life, the behavior must be by the personal power of the Holy Spirit if we are to please God. Here we see he says to walk in the Spirit. In the Greek, it's a present tense imperative. It means a continuous command. It's not, you know, once in a while type of thing. If you're a once in a while walker, then that's not what God is asking of you. God is asking for a consistency. God is asking that this would be the characteristic of your life, that you walk, you behave, you conduct your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I've been sharing with you guys, you know, all day long, every day, every moment, ask Him for strength. Never, ever, ever try to do anything on your own. No decisions. Really pray about all your decisions. No decisions apart from the Lord, you know, leading you and confirming things in His Word and just really making sure that you're not, you know, gambling with your future. You're not gambling with your family. You're not gambling with the ministry or the church. That everything is spirit-led and you're praying and you're waiting on the Lord. And as you're living that life, I think God then enables us to, you know, bring Him glory. You know, it's this relationship, you guys, that we have. And that's what God is, is calling us to. There in verse 18, it says, If you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Are you led by the Spirit? Or are you under the law? Let me ask ask you this way. Are you ruled by rules? Or are you ruled by the ruler? Is it all about laws that you're under? Or is it about a love that you're in? Because if it's just about rules, eventually you're going to mess up. If it's just about laws, eventually you're going to fall. But if it's about the ruler and the relationship with the ruler, if it's about love and the love that you have for God, then you're going to find yourself finishing this race. Paul right there says, listen, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we need to have this intimate communion and relationship with God. And what we find as Christians is that in order to exalt God and to enjoy God, it's not about obligation as much as it is about relation. It's not rules. It's the ruler. It's not laws. It's love. And I really, I I like what I read, uh, Greg Laurie, uh, reading the book, Getting Ready for Saturday. He said, we're not falling in love. we're, We're growing in love. And I like that. That's what ends up happening in our life as Christians. And in that dependent love relationship, the Spirit takes over and it's not grunts, it's grace, it's not determination, but dependence. Uh, One commentary put it this way. As a believer walks through life, he should depend on the indwelling Holy Spirit for guidance and power. But remember this, The Spirit does not operate automatically in a believer's heart. He waits to be depended on. I think we have the the quote right here. Look at that again. As a believer walks through life, he should depend on the indwelling Holy Spirit for guidance and power. But remember this, the Spirit does not operate automatically in a believer's heart. He waits to be depended. Dependent on. That's kind of interesting, huh? 
But that's the way it is. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you. The Holy Spirit is there to empower you. And as you're living life, he wants to make sure. He doesn't just do it automatically. He doesn't force you to do it. He waits for you to call on him. He waits for the heart that's dependent upon him. One other individual, William McDonald, he said this, to walk in the spirit is to allow him to have his way. It is to remain in communion with him. It is to make decisions in the light of his holiness. And that's really where it's at, you guys. We let him have his way. We remain in constant communion with him. And we make decisions, what? In light of his holiness. That's why he is the Holy Spirit. He is holy. And you want to know what he really wants to do? He really wants to make you and I holy as well set apart and living for god's glory but we see that only god can do that because look again what it says there in verse 17 it says for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish literally what's going on inside of us is we've got the two natures And they are hostile toward one another. And that means they're military enemies, absolutely antagonistic to each other. And we read the same thing over in Romans chapter 7. There really is a war going on within us. You know, and that's why, you know, the enemy wants to come in and he wants to get a toehold and a foothold and he'll get a beachfront. Next thing you know, from there, he'll set up a base of operations and he wants to gain more ground. If you can, visualize your life or, or visualize your body kind of like this land that the enemy's trying to take over. And the more you give him, obviously, the more he wants. But the less you give him and the more you give to God, the more you'll bring him glory. You see, and that's what this is all about. If I could, let me just ask you a question tonight. Are you winning the war? Are you walking in the flesh? Or are you walking in the Spirit? Here in Galatians 5, 19 through 23, Paul gives us what I call a typical test that we might make an examination and then determination to see where we're at in this whole thing. We'll see in our text today the first list are things we don't want to be present in our life and the second list are things that we do want to be present. We read, first of all, in verse 19, the things that we don't want there. It says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here Paul lists 17 characteristics of carnality. That if these are present in your life, it reveals that you are walking in the flesh. We learn there in verse 21 at the end that if any of these sins ultimately describe and dominate one's life, 
If one walks in any of these sins repeatedly, defiantly, presumptuously, and persistently, that such an individual is not a walker, they're just a talker, they're not really Christians, they're not true, they're not saved, and they're not going to heaven. Paul here says, I warn you, just as I warned you before, that if these things are present in persistence in your life, I don't care how many times you go to church, I don't care how many times you read your Bible, I don't care what position you had in ministry, that if any of these sins describe any of you ultimately, then you need to know this, that you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why we really need to check. Really need to see, Lord, are any of these things in my life? You know, and, and you know, at the same time, it is possible we need to know for a Christian to stumble in these areas. You know, and, and so what we need to do is examine our life and ask, Lord, are any of these present in my life? And I think when we look a little closer, it helps us really to make that decision and determination, you know. And we're going to go through 17 characteristics and we're going to go through a list of nine positive elements. And so obviously we're not going to be able to tackle each one in depth. But this is one thing that I learned, that the deeper I looked at each one of these, the more I saw how, man, you know what? I got to be careful. That, that could very easily describe my life. You know, and he lists, first of all, the sexual sins. Again, it's not exhaustive. This is not all the works of the flesh. But these are typical. These are typical sins within the church. You know, and when I got saved, you know, uh, you guys all know when and where, so I won't even say that anyway. But when I got saved, you know, I don't know. Thank God he just gave me the grace, you know, to stay pure. And then now I've been married you know, since 1992, and I thank God for the grace He's allowed me to stay pure, and I thank God, I give Him all the glory that, you know, I, I don't have like a, a lure towards pornography and things like that, and I really try to keep my eyes straight and, man, not look at women. But I've learned just being a pastor, though, that a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people struggle with sexual sins. And that's probably why He lists it there, the first four things, are very typical. And so even in a congregation this size, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you here are struggling in this area. And so, you know, I encourage you to know that if you are, that means you're walking in the flesh and God says it's a real easy process. What you need to do is humble yourself and then you need to walk in the Spirit. And you replace one passion with a greater passion. You fall in love with the Lord. You grow in love with the Lord. He mentions there in verse 19, first of all, adultery, the married man or woman engaging in sexual conduct outside of marriage. And of course, we're going to see that that sexual sin is not just, you know, something that is literal. It can be something that is spiritual. And Jesus said that in Matthew 5, 28, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Same thing. And that's why you don't look again. You know, we guys, we have to really discipline ourselves. And the girls, the same thing. But that's one that he mentions. The first one is adultery. The second one is fornication. Sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. And that's any and all forms of illicit sexual relationships. Of course, that would include pornography. 
He mentions there, thirdly, uncleanness or literally impurity. And that's a broad term referring to moral uncleanness in thought, in word, and in deed. A lot of those dirty jokes. God says, listen, that's, that's what that is. Lewdness is fourthly mentioned. And that's just an open, shameless, brazen display of these sexual evils. And we see that in the homosexual community today. They're open. They're not ashamed. And God says, these are, these are the things that you need to know that if you're engaged in these persistently, repeatedly, defiantly, then you're, you're not going to go to heaven. Verse 20, he mentions idolatry. And because of its mention just after the listing of sexual sins, it probably includes the male and female prostitution, so often a part of heathen religion. But if you think about it for a second, the big sins sexually and then idolatry, anything we put before God, it could be religion, it could be covetousness. Those are things that are big, huh? Those are things that we struggle with. You know, one day when some people die, they are going to have a rude awakening because they did not realize how holy God is and how real God is. And they did not have the fear of the Lord. I'm telling you guys, if there is any of this present within your environment, flee. Flee these things and flee to God. You know, he mentions their sorcery and that's witchcraft or drug use. Um, in ancient times, the worship of evil powers were often accompanied by the use of drugs to create trances. We have the Greek word pharmakia. We get our word pharmacy from it. You know, sometimes guys say, oh, drugs are fine. You know, God made them. And they try to justify it. And the Bible says right here, listen, you, you can't do that. He mentions sins that are of immorality sexually. He mentions sins of idolatry. And he mentions sins, I think, congregationally, where, you know, these are areas that we struggle. Notice what he says next. It's hatred. And the word is hostilities. It means enmities. It's an individual who participates in acts of hatred. He next mentions contentions or strife or discord among the disciples. He next mentions jealousy. And this is not a good jealousy. This is not godly, but it's sinful and self-centered jealousy. And, you know, I, I don't know how that works in uh, a girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife relationship. But, you know, there's this certain elements of it that really are going too far. And I think even, you know, sometimes among friends, you're like, hey, you know, why are they with them? I thought I was their best friend or whatever, you know. And it can really rear its ugly head in so many ugly ways. He mentions next outbursts of wrath. Uh, one version says outbursts of anger or fits of rage. Some say it often comes as a final eruption after smoldering jealousy. And, and God says, listen, if this is you, you need to know you're not going to make it in. You know, and I think a lot of guys struggle with this. Outbursts of anger. And this is God's way of saying, listen, today we talked about this and today you better change. 
You can't go, you know, close to the edge. Oh, I'll be all right. No, these are all things that don't belong. Selfish ambitions or selfish rivalries or self-seekings. One commentary said it's a self-aggrandizing attitude which shows itself in working to get ahead at another's expense. It's a self-centered striving to be number one. You know, and we see that a lot in, you know, sports, you know, and you see with the fans and, you know, I don't know how healthy that is, to be honest with you, because uh, the, the guys, they want to be on top. They want to be the MVP. They want to be the center of attention. They want to have a big ESPN special, let the whole world watch them, you know, and number one, and it's all about that self-centeredness. We've lost the whole heart of teamwork. It's a crazy thing. Dissensions. Weist translates it divisions. And it describes what happens when people quarrel over issues or personalities causing hurtful divisions. You know, and some people, they plant seeds of discord. And they won't change. They don't change. And if I was you, I'd be really careful because God says that will keep you from the kingdom. So you better repent. I mean, these are, these are really things that we can struggle with. Heresies. And, and literally the word speaks of a faction. How many of you here know what a faction is? Because I didn't know what a faction was. <laughs> and so I looked it up and what it is, is a small organized dissenting group within a larger one creating conflicts in the organization. And so those factions, God said, will keep you from the kingdom. We serve a holy God. He doesn't play games. And neither should we. He mentions envy right here. And it's a wrongful desire to possess what belongs to someone else. Or even worse, it's a displeasure at the success or prosperity of others. And sometimes we look at other people and we're like, you know, it's an ugliness about us. Oh, I can't believe they're doing so well. And you get kind of bummed about it. And God says, that, that's envy. He mentions murders, and that's the under, individual under the influence of hatred or who despises life. He mentions drunkenness, that's the individual under the influence of alcohol. And he mentions revelries. And that is the carousing orgies. In all practicality, it just speaks of the parties. You guys remember Party Hardy? God says, man, that, that, that right there is something that you need to be so careful of. And he mentions right there, and the like. Verse 21, and the like. In other words, it's not an exhaustive list. But even in its brevity, I think we see some common pitfalls and perversions that we need to be so careful of. The sexual sins, false religion, idols, drugs, mediums, hearts of hatred, Christian competitiveness, jealousy, envy, wanting what they have. It could be a possession. It could be a position. Anger. And, you know, sometimes we don't see anger as all that bad, and yet it will keep you from heaven. It shows you're not on the right road, and you need to stop believing the lie that says it's not all that bad. Yes, it is. The selfish little divisions that really aren't that little, and they keep you from him, and they keep you from her, and they keep you from heaven. God says, you've got to clean house. I'm a holy God and I really want you to take this seriously. You know, there are boundaries. God says drunkenness, partying, the works and lust of the flesh. 
And if any of these describe you in any way, remember God has warned you. And so you need tonight the power of God honestly, wholeheartedly, humbly to repent. Those who live like this, who habitually indulge in these fleshly sins, will not inherit the future kingdom of God. Now, if you're a Christian and you go through this, it doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. You might lapse into a sin of the flesh. But that person who lives continually on such a level of moral corruption gives evidence that they really are not a child of God. And so, you know, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I know I'm a Christian. I don't struggle with that all the time, but I do sometimes. Well, my encouragement to you is to know that if it made the list, then flee it. Really get rid of it in your life. If you live in the Spirit, you should then walk in the Spirit. And not only will those things not be present, but these are the things that will be present. Because it says there in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And we're off with the old and on with the new. We need a life that's true in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Which one describes you? Sinful works or spiritual fruit? You know, the Holy Spirit we see right here is the root of all fruit. We could never, ever, ever produce virtuous fruit on our own apart from Him. Fruit is the product of life in the Spirit. And again, we're going to look just a little closer at the list. And my encouragement to you tonight is to be honest. Again, you know what? It doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what they think. What matters is what's real. And as you look at this list right here, does it describe you? And the first thing he mentions right there is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If you remember, that's kind of how we started this evening. There in verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when it comes to the fruit and when it comes to what God is really looking for in your life, you got to know this, that He's looking for love. A love for God that would manifest itself in obedience, a love for others that means unconditionally sacrificially, I will seek their highest good. Some people say that if you look at this, that love is the primary fruit and all others are really descriptions of it. Because if you'll notice, the word fruit is singular and so is the word is. The fruit of the Spirit is. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. But in studying different commentaries, I can't be dogmatic about that. But John MacArthur said both the noun, fruit, and the verb is are singular, indicating that Paul is not listing nine different fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit with several 
characteristics. All I know is this. Look for these things, all these things in your life. One of the things you'll notice is that all of this positive production is really all about attitude. But whatever you do in looking at love, make sure you know that these attitudes all have actions. And we should be able to see it. As a matter of fact, the heart of love is a deliberate willingness to serve others and to give freely of oneself. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, what God is looking for in this love, it's not an erotic love, it's not a fickle love, it's not a conditional love. You know, the other night we went to the angel game. Someone gave us tickets to the angel game. It was nosebleed seats, but still we had a great time, you know. And it was just, uh, it was, it was, we had a really good time. Um, but um, the, the game was tied one to one. And uh, in comes this pitcher. And this pitcher was a classic pitcher. He was the greatest. He has the most saves of all time. I mean, incredible. I think 62 saves in one season. But he came in. And he, uh, he, man, everybody was clapping and they were playing the, the music and it was like, wow, this guy's a star, right? And the first thing that happened is that he gave up a, a single, then two walks, and so the bases are loaded and guess what happened next? Grand slam, man. <laughs> and I felt so sorry for this guy, to be honest with you. But you know what? He was done. And so he's walking off the field, and the same guy who just admitted, everybody was clapping. Now everybody's booing. <laughs> you know, that's all it takes, man. But a lot of times we're the same way. See, this love is not an erotic love. It's not a fickle love. It's not a superficial love. The love that God is speaking of is an unconditional love. It doesn't really matter what they do. Is that you? I challenge you on that. Because that's the first fruit. That's the foundational fruit. Do you boo? (laughs) After the grand slam. Think about it, man. It's really important. Amy Carmichael calls it Calvary love because that's the type of love that God has for us. I know it's radical, but it's typical if you are a true Christian. A lot of people are going to be surprised. Because they never had the very first fruit. The Bible says in 1 John 4 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Is that you? Do you have love? St. Augustine said, Love slays what we have been, that we may be what we're not. And the old man, he dies. And the new man, the Lord, his love lives. One individual said this, the love that Christ commands is not easy even for people who are blessed with great natural warmth of heart. And it's not impossible even for those who tend to be crabby and short-tempered. For Christian love is not a vague feeling of affection for someone. It is rather a condition of the heart and will that causes us to seek the welfare of others, including people we don't particularly like and even people who have done us wrong. Is that you? If not, it better be. If not, something's got to change. Does the Spirit of God produce love, true love, in your life? Secondly, he mentions joy. It's a deep, abiding, inner rejoicing. 
Real joy is not a shallow, giddy, fleeting sort of glee, but it's a deep down abiding sense of well-being that stems from the satisfaction a true believer finds in God. It's not satisfaction you find in things or him or her. It's in God. Real joy is not merely a personality quirk that belongs to people who are naturally upbeat. It's a deep gladness that comes from within and is prompted partly by the knowledge that God has accepted us in Christ and partly by the delight we find in Him. You see, I like what one person said. F.B. Myers said, Joy is peace dancing. I like that. Don't you like that? Think about that. Joy is peace dancing. You're all happy, man, because you have peace with God, right? Even I can dance, man. (laughs) And then he said, Peace is joy resting. It's cool. C.H. Burden said, You can't be too happy, brother. Nay, do not suspect yourself of being wrong because you're full of delight. You know that it's said of the divine wisdom, her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Provided that it is joy in the Lord, you cannot have too much of it. Is that you? Or are you a Christian Eeyore? Oh, it's me. (laughs) Be careful, man. The Spirit of God produces joy, true joy in and through my life. Thirdly, he mentions peace. And God's peace is the tranquility of a soul who finds rest in him. You're not bouncing off the walls emotionally. You know, there's not that anxiety. When the Spirit is working in your heart, there's a peace no matter what the path. And and to go even deeper, one individual said this, peace and joy are very similar in that neither is dependent on any external circumstances. I don't know about you, but I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I do find myself going up and down and all around depending on what things happen. And God says, no, you can't be that way. Love, he says, joy, peace. The first three are more personal. They're more inner. And you'll notice that the next five are more congregational. They're more outer Because look what he says next. He mentions that ugly word, (laughs) long-suffering. One version says patience, but long-suffering is probably a better description. This is a character quality that reveals maturity. It's a character quality that only God can produce in our life. Apart from the Spirit, we would all be described as what? Short-suffering, right? (laughs) And impatient. But long-suffering describes the disciple who is patient in the midst of even painful trials. It's a forbearance under provocation. It entertains no thoughts of retaliation, even when spitefully treated. Is that you? Is that you? That's how the Lord is. If he wasn't long-suffering, we'd all be wiped out right now, huh? Long-suffering is a particular kind of patient, gentle, persevering self-control that especially comes into play in our dealings with people who deliberately try to provoke us. Now, some people, they can't even handle annoyances, much less affliction or persecution. And there is no long-suffering there. You know, if we're walking in the Spirit, we will have the ability to be stronged in suffering even when we're wronged in suffering. That's when God's doing a work in somebody. Is that you? 
Fifthly, he mentions kindness. This is the individual who offers help and support in time of need. It's benevolence and benevolence in actions. Joseph Jaubert said, kindness is love and work clothes. Is that you? Do you step out to help? And then he mentions goodness, and that's moral excellence. All our goodness is a gift, and God is the only good gift giver. Goodness consists not merely in the outward things we do, but in the inward thing we are. And that's what God wants to do in our life. It's not even good to look for good in others. I'm sorry, it is good to look for good in others. Look for strength in people, not weakness. Look for good, not evil. Why? Because most of us find what we're looking for. It's good to look for good in others. And we need to look for good and ask God to do that work in our own heart. One individual said this, The heart of a good man is a sanctuary of God. We read that scripture last Sunday night. It was really cool about how, you know, he who abides in the secret place. They're the ones under the shadow of the Almighty. And when you're there in the secret place, and that describes your communion with God, there's that divine protection and perfection. I like what one individual said, and see if you guys can catch this. To get good is animal. To do good is human. And to be good is divine. Cool, huh? Psalm 37, 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. When God leads your life, you're a good man, a good woman. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. When we set our mind on things above and not on things below, when we find our satisfaction in the things that are spiritual and not the things that are earthly, then God says, now you're, 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 you're coming to that point where I want you to be. And the Bible says Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas was a good man. How about me? Is this me? Do I have this type of love, this type of joy, this type of peace? Am I long-suffering or kind, good? The next thing he mentions is faithfulness. Is this an individual who is trustworthy and reliable? One individual said, faithfulness is consecration in overalls. I like that. It's a steadfast devotion to the truth. You know, when I was talking to the Lord today, I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, but one thing I know is this, that I will always try to maintain my personal relationship with you. And I always try to love my family, love the flock, teach them your word. And Lord, I just want to leave the results in your hands. And I think that's all God wants. He wants us just to be faithful. He mentions another one that can be kind of tough at times, and that is gentleness. Weiss translates it as meekness. And it's a particular kind of gentle meekness and enables us to respond patiently to the faults of others as well as their offenses against us. You trace this word, I encourage you, get your Strong's Bible, trace the way that Paul uses this word. It's always used with individuals who have sinned. Individuals who have offended him, offended God, and the way that he deals with them is in gentleness. 
As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter 6 explicitly uses the whole context. And he says, if any of you are overtaken by a trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Paul said, when I come, should I come in gentleness or should I come with a rod? You see, it's always dealing with an individual who wrongs you. And when your kids wrong you or when your spouse wrongs you or when your friend wrongs you or when that Christian wrongs you or when that you know, person on the freeway wrongs you, whatever it is, man, you got to know that the Spirit of God will work with gentleness. As a matter of fact, one person said this, nothing is stronger than gentleness. I thought that was crazy because, you know, we think, oh, this is strong and we, you know, we beat or we get all crazy. And God says, that's not strong. Gentleness is strong. He mentions there the things, the first three things are the inner things. And then he mentions the congregational things. There's five things. And then he closes it with the one that's so important there, the last one, and that is self-control. It's so important to have self-control. You know, if love is the core, self-control is the key that sets us free. It's the key to bearing fruit that is the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is the ability to keep cool while someone is making it hot, you know. Self-control is the exercise of godly restraint upon our human appetites and passions. The quality is practically the lifeblood of virtue. If you know anybody who's virtuous, they have self-control. It's practically the lifeblood of virtue itself so that a person of true character is most easily distinguished by his or her extraordinary self-control. Not easy. It will be painful. There will be self-deprivation involved. It will be hard work. Not easy for us, but exceptionally easy for him. Without this fruit of the Spirit, we're absolutely and totally vulnerable. And you guys know what I'm talking about, man. And you, you've probably been there before where you lost it. You know, and I just want to just challenge you and tell you that that is not God-honoring. It's not. You've got to make sure, you guys, that all our declarations and all our decisions and all of our days are Spirit-led and not led by the flesh. Otherwise, we make ourselves totally, absolutely vulnerable. The Bible says, Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight: whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. Question, do you, can you control yourself? Can you know yourself? I mean, say no. I want that cheeseburger. Can you say no? <laughs> Can you? Seriously. (laughs) You need that self-control. He closes there in verse 23, and he says, Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. God says, hey man, if you're a Christian, you've crucified the passions. And those passions refer to strong physical desires, especially of the sexual nature. Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And so we see here in the end that each believer is exhorted to keep in step with the Spirit. Step by step, one's Christian walk should conform to the Spirit's direction and enablement. Let me ask you a couple of questions tonight as we close. Number one, do you have life? Secondly, do you walk in the Spirit? Today, I think we see something that's so important. You know, when it comes to the Spirit of God, I think a lot of people are very mystical. And, you know, there is definitely a mysterious element of all the things of God. He's so deep and wonderful and amazing. But, you know what? It's not as much mystical as it is practical. And when the Spirit of God rules in your life and He leads you and you follow Him, you have communion with Him, the one that's happening is in a very practical way you begin to live a life of obedience. And you know your priorities. First, your relationship with God. Then you, you, know, you take care of your family. Then the ministry. And then everything else is a distant whatever forth. But we have this responsibility in life that God calls us to and that we need to live in as Christians. You know, not everyone who has life walks, if you think about it. There's a lot of people who are living who can't walk. And there's a lot of Christians who, who have life, but unfortunately, they're not walking the way they should. You know, those individuals who are paralyzed or maybe they're handicapped for some reason, they have life, they're not walking, they don't have a choice. But you do. You have a choice. The question is, will you crucify yourself? Will you take up your cross? And will you follow Jesus Christ? I encourage us today, all of us today, to know that this study, Aaron, you can't say anything, okay? This study right here is, number one, revelational. (laughs) It tells us where we're at. And I think for some of us here, if you're really honest, and you don't just go stuff this in the trash can and go on with your life, but if you go and you examine these things, you're going to find that you're a long ways away and we need to get closer. Because the study is revelational, but the study is also motivational. question is, whose power will you choose to use? And Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Not a mystical necessarily person, but a practical person. We love you and we need you. And we choose today to... Declare publicly, Lord, that we are dependent upon you. There's nothing I can do, Lord God, in my own righteousness. And there's nothing I can do in my own strength. Lord, I know what I want to be, the inner man, but then there's the sinner man. The inner man wants to be a good husband and wants to be a good dad and wants to be a good son and friend and servant. But the sinner man fights me tooth and nail in every single point. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be my strength, that you would be our victory tonight, and that every role, relationship, and responsibility that we have tonight, Lord, you would give us a strength to choose to use the power of the Holy Spirit and just, Lord, to bless you, to bless your life. As you look and your word talks about how you were looking for fruit on the tree and, and there wasn't any fruit there. And, and so they said, you know what, cut it down. It's just taking up space. 
And you were so patient. You said, you know what, let's, let's give it a little more time. Let's kind of water it and cultivate the ground around it. Maybe next year. And so, Lord, I pray that we would know that this is not just a moral uprightness. This is not a club. This is not some good citizen society. You are calling us to live supernaturally. And so, Lord, I pray you would help us to live that life. We thank you, Lord. And I pray tonight in Jesus' name.